It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it at Tail Varsity Radio. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery here at Seacrest Field for a roadshow Wednesday. Big time uh, ball game for freshman football. You have Lincoln Southwest on the road against Lincoln East. We're going to keep our eye on that. Uh, excited to see uh, some freshman ball be on the road today and uh, get uh, get you ready as we continue to march towards Norman, Nebraska, and Oklahoma the uh, the bitterness, the, uh, the the rivalry, the heartbreak, the joy, the exaltation renewed on Saturday. Numbers to get in four six six three seven seven six four six six thirty seven seventy six eight hundred eight two five five eight six five. You see me if you're watching us on the social channels, the Facebook Live, ESPN, Lincoln, Chris Schmidt, uh, Elijah Herbal, and I tell you from time to time about that that gorgeous mustache that that elijah has going uh it it is not colored in it, it is real and it's uh, being watered from time to time we're loaded up we will get into uh blair kirkoff kansas city star his take he's seen a lot of college football covered some of the biggest uh, non-conference games and uh, those major matchups, interconference showdowns. Blair's take on Nebraska, Oklahoma coming up here in about five to, to ten minutes. We'll get Blair's take on uh, what, what's going to happen with Eric Bieniemy uh, with Kansas City. Uh, is he going to go take that SC job that is open? Would he leave the NFL? for uh, a really high-profile blue-blood gig. I mean, Biennemi's been passed over way too many times for a head NFL job, but you got to ask yourself, is, is the SC job a better job than what would be open in the NFL? Uh, time will tell with that. Who knows what, uh, what the, the, the Black Monday looks like uh, at the end of this NFL season. So uh, don't have our Magic 8-ball or Crystal Ball out there, but we'll talk to Blair about the Chiefs. And then from a Royals standpoint, how's this grab you? I'm raising both hands here uh, with all the times uh, my family and, and friends have gone down to, to, to Kaufman. Great setup, been there for Chiefs games, been there for a lot of Royals games. And the, re- the, the new reality could be that the, the Royals are going to build a downtown stadium in power and light, which would be cool. That's the trend, but uh, do they need one? So we'll get in there with Blair. All things Nebraska, Oklahoma with uh, Hall of Famer Mike Babcock from Hale Varsity. Mike Shuhart, Shuey, will chime in on Nebraska, Oklahoma. He has a deep, rich memory and history of uh, OU Nebraska. Brad Edwards in hour two. And uh, we'll do the uh, Big Ten Buffet with Rick Pizzo as he was on the sideline for Nebraska-Buffalo. Elijah, what Adrian Martinez shows up 
for the Big Red this Saturday? Do you get a, a mistake-free, Adrian? Uh, you saw greatness. You saw greatness against Buffalo with Adrian, with what he did with his legs, with what he did with his arms. And then you've seen Adrian in big games play at a high level. Tough conditions, brutal environment, making a big throw to Stanley Morgan against Michigan State back in 18. You saw him uh, dismantle Ohio State, but still had the one red zone turnover that ended up being points off the board in a 36-31 to loss back in 2018. You saw a good Adrian in the road, on the road in Boulder in 2019. Uh, and, and then we saw uh, Adrian more times than, than a lot of Nebraska fans would like to count, bail out Nebraska against decent to below par competition. We're talking Purdue. We're talking Illinois. So uh, Adrian, uh, can he stay well, can he stay mistake-free? A big ask. Big ask against Oklahoma. Uh, but uh, that is something we will contemplate uh, with uh, Nebraska and Oklahoma. Uh, we'll get into Blair Kirkhoff here in just a moment. Uh, we'll do that here in a moment. Uh, you can chime in with us on our socials. Uh, be, sh- be sure to chime in on the, uh, the Facebook Live. Um, uh, a, uh, a dear beloved family member says that the live stream works better than your TuneIn app. Uh, you know, our streaming, I would tell you to go to ESPNLincoln.com. Elijah, I think Adrian's going to have a, a big game. He'll need a big game. I just don't know what the supporting cast will be like. Yeah, uh, I think we need to see the the best Adrian that we've ever seen at Nebraska if Nebraska wants to pull the upset on Saturday. Uh, he has to be mistake-free. He has to be able to drive the ball downfield. He has to be accurate with his short passes. He, he really needs to have all, uh, almost a perfect game, I think, for Nebraska to even stand a chance in this one because you know that Oklahoma offense is going to be putting up points. Adrian's got to match what they're doing. And just to respond to this, uh, this live stream, the only problem with it is, is I can't pick my nose in here anymore. So, well, You know, you, you just got to turn <laughs> away from the camera and, and do your thing. <laughs> we will uh, say hi to Blair Kirkhoff right now as uh, Hale Varsity continues. Blair's thoughts on the Big Red and OU Mike Babcock's also on the way. Blair, thanks for the time, man. An exciting week, a lot of nostalgia. And then, oh, yeah, the real reality of OU's third in the country, Nebraska trying to, to climb up. How are you? Yeah, doing great. Chris, and it, it should be fun uh, just to see the just to see Nebraska and Oklahoma on the same field. That, that'll that'll be fun. What, what do you remember most, or first uh, professionally, or even as a sports fan about Nebraska Oklahoma? Well, I'm old enough to remember the game of the century. Um, uh, it was such a, a monumental event; can't miss television. I didn't realize it until much later that. Uh, uh, more eyeballs on that college football game than any in history before that, some 55 million. And, um, and, and that, that record stood for, for quite a long time. So um, I do remember that. One thing I, uh, I remember a lot of in the, in the 90s and into the 2000s is how, uh, you know, the, how lopsided the series became on both sides with Nebraska dominating in those uh, those early Big Twelve years, and then Oklahoma once the you know once we once Bob Stoops got it up and running, how uh, how, how the, the the switch had flipped. And I tell you what, Chris, I go back to the two great games, the two thousand and the two thousand and one mm. 
games, which were two of my favorite college football games. One, you know, in 2000, I think if you could point to sort of a changing of the guard in the Big 12 when the balance of power shifted from north to south, it was that day in Norman. I remember 11 a.m. kickoff with uh, uh, with Oklahoma defeating Nebraska. I think it was 31 to 14, and, and Nebraska got the great victory the next year on the you know on the on the Crouch touchdown reception. But I just think that that was the time that you can focus in on to see where all of a sudden you know now you had Bob Stoops and Mac Brown at Texas, and uh, and of course you know Tom Osborne had gone and. The South started to rise, and while Nebraska continued in the Big 12, it became such a South-dominant conference for the rest of the the rest of the decade. You know, you're right on, and I remember being down there uh, in, in 2000 where you jump out, and, oh, you'd been working on a, a monster streak, right, where they, they'd beaten Kansas State, they'd beaten Texas, and here comes Nebraska consecutively. That was Stoops' national title team, and he set the bar for every other coach coming in. All right, go win one by your second year, right? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah, it was yeah. amazing. <laughs> and it was, it was incredible, and Nebraska was just killing them the first quarter, and then yep. Heupel got exquisitely hot, and it was cover zero, and, and he was on the money with a lot of 50-yard bombs. But I think you're, you're, on, the, you're on point with uh, the shift there. You know, what's, what's Saturday look like for you with, with Nebraska and Coach Frost? Uh, you know, what, what in your mind as a national college football guy does Nebraska need to do Saturday? Well, I hope, that, I hope they keep it competitive and, uh, and, and play, uh, you know, play prepared football. Try not to, you know, try not to turn it over and, uh, and a, lot of, a lot of silly penalties. I, to be honest with you, I, I do think Nebraska will be – up for the game and uh, and rise to the occasion uh, and, and keeping in keeping it competitive, uh, but and, and, and one reason I say that is because I, I don't know I still don't know what Oklahoma is about this year. In the in the one true test they got, they were fortunate to to be in front of Tulane at the end of the game a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, there's you can't take anything from beating Western Carolina, so. I just I'm not exactly sure what OU has. I'm, I'm a top 25 voter this year, and I dropped the Sooners below Oregon. So uh, I, I need to be convinced that this is a you know an Oklahoma team that can you know I think it's obviously good enough to win the Big 12, but you know to to be on the national stage, the thing that they crave when they get to the Final Four and and have a chance to to win a game there, I'm I'm not convinced of that yet. I need to I need to see more evidence of of OU. Blair Kirkhoff's with us, Kansas City Star, Hale Varsity Radio, at Blair Kirkhoff on Twitter. Blair, it'll be awesome. We'll be down in Norman Friday, Saturday, pre- and post-games, so uh, we'll be on site. We'll see if it is competitive and what type of Nebraska and Oklahoma team shows up. What's your read here on on Eric Bieniemy and the Chiefs? Do you think, do you believe that, that SC is, is, a, is a real, real possibility for him here after the season? You know, of course, it's a big storyline here. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, look, I get the connections, and uh, and I didn't realize he's apparently told others that USC is a job that he might be interested in someday. But listen, that the, the, the timing for an NFL coach and an NFL assistant to to drop into the college ranks is pretty difficult, and especially one uh, a, a franchise like the Chiefs and. 
fully expect to play into January. You know, the AFC Championship game this year, I think, is on January 30th, and the Super Bowl is a couple weeks later. So, you know, can can USC go with an interim coach? If it is the enemy, if he's their choice, can they go with an interim coach through, you know, through recruiting and um, and then you know start over on the in the coaching ranks? I I don't know. There there's certainly a lot of interesting names out there for the job, uh, and, and some make you know a lot of sense. I, Matt Campbell, of course, is, is one that comes up. Would he be interested? Bob Stoops would be right away because of what he's doing right now. Uh, certainly the, the Luke Fickle name, is, is, is has, you have to pay close attention to that. But I, I don't know. I still think I, I think of Eric Bieniemy's next job as being an NFL head coach somewhere. It should have happened already. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think if, if he wants to be an NFL head coach someday, that's going to happen. He doesn't have to go to USC for that to happen. He um, uh, he just has to continue to do what he's doing on the Chiefs' uh, uh, sideline for him to he, – he's he's more than qualified. He's overdue for the job. And, hey, but but in the end, who knows? Maybe, maybe the SEC job looks better to him than what NFL jobs could come open mm-hmm. at the end of this year. Well – that's that's the question he has to ask himself. I think you're right. <laughs> what what what's open in the NFL for sure? Uh, Blair Kirkhoff's with us. Blair, finally, and thanks for uh, your, your time today. Uh, let's talk Royals and and what's your read? What's your feel on Kauffman Stadium? And then honestly, the the talk about a, a downtown stadium. Does do, do the Royals need a new stadium? Yeah, that's that's the question. Is it is it necessary when when Kauffman Stadium opened in nineteen or as Royal Stadium in nineteen seventy three? One of the one of the ideas behind putting it where it was, um, and building it next to Arrowhead Stadium was to accommodate regional fans. So fans that come in from not only from Kansas and Missouri, but Nebraska and Iowa, and up from Oklahoma and Arkansas. You know, easy in, easy out. It's still one of the easiest places to get in and out of in all of professional sports. Ample parking. But, you know, in the, in the evolution of sports stadiums, it's, you know, it, it's a bit of a relic because it's, you know, it's suburban and not, um, you know, and not urban. So there, there haven't been many ballparks created in the last generation of ballparks. Uh, that were built outside of downtown. Uh, one of them, which has been built like that, is Atlanta. Uh, but that's uh, that's because of traffic and downtown congestion uh, and whatnot. But for the most part, they've all been built in the downtown area. And uh, when when John Sherman uh, took over the ownership of of the Royals a couple of years ago, uh, it was suggested then that he he was pretty set on moving the Royals downtown at some point. The the, the Royals lease at Kauffman Stadium is up in, in 2031, and I, I think by then you are going to see a downtown baseball stadium. Uh, probably on the east side of downtown, if people are familiar, near, near where I-70 mm. comes into, in, into downtown Kansas City. So I think it's going to happen. That's, the, that's certainly the trend in sports is to build and in in, in to rebuild downtown areas. And um, uh, and, and I'm, I would I would look forward to it. I really would. I, as much as I would miss being able to just drive in, drive out, uh, won't be as easy going into downtown. I, I do think it's going to happen. So, last thought: What happens with the uh, the old space? Just more Chiefs tailgating? 
Yeah, that's, that's the a great and interesting question. Is what what happens is what becomes of old if if the Royals go downtown, build a new stadium, and of course we're going to talk about uh, we'd have to you know, Kansas City and have to figure out the financing for sure. like that as well. But what what happens to old Kaufman? Well, I think you've got a couple things. You can you can leave it alone and and, and maintain the the upkeep of, uh, of of the structure, and the Chiefs could use it. Or whatever they feel necessary, or the city of you know of the city of Kansas City, Jackson County, could use it to put their you know put concerts and a lot of other events there, and and not have to use Arrowhead Stadium for that. But the other idea is to uh, tear it down and create in Kansas City what's been created in places like St. Louis and Green Bay and Foxborough, and that is a you know a mixed use. Entertainment housing district there um, that 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 comes with you know a, a football or a baseball stadium. Mm. Uh, we, we we've seen it happen in other cities. You know, I I think those those types of structures are still pretty young. I don't know what the you know what what, what the um, the result how people are how much people are satisfied with them. But you know, having gone and seen these places, they're really cool. You know, you you live there you. You shop. Arlington, Texas, built one too, okay. right, uh, right next to the the Rangers Stadium, and uh, and right down the street from where the Cowboys play. So that's what's going on in uh, you know in sports, and and this 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 new Royal Stadium uh, would be near the Power and Light District, so you'd have that sort of an automatic entertainment district at uh, at the new uh, at the new stadium that the Royals would play in. But I suspect we might see something like a, a, a sort of a, a mixed use development where Kauffman Stadium is, and hopefully that would spur growth around that intersection of, uh, of I Center, I-70 and I-435. Blair Kirkhoff with us. Blair, we'll, uh, we'll check in soon. Uh, interesting uh, what's happening with, uh, with Kauffman and the Chiefs and, oh, yeah, Nebraska, Oklahoma. Thanks for spending a few minutes today. Hey, great talking to you, Chris. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery here at Seacrest Field. Freshman football junior is uh, playing for Southwest. They're in their road white, their emerald green pants, their silver hats. And I don't know where he's at. He's probably getting uh, something loaded up to chuck up here at the booth at his old man. Uh, we will have a moratorium on junior mentions, I promise. But it's uh, pretty good to sneak out. Big thanks to Elijah for working back uh, in studio while I can uh, scoot out here to Seacrest Field for uh, just a beautiful day for football. It is going to be uh, electric atmosphere-wise for Nebraska-Oklahoma as the uh, rivalry renewed on Saturday down in Norman. We welcome in historian, author, Hall of Famer. Uh, he has seen so much Nebraska-Oklahoma and uh, he has narrated it for you uh, with some incredible writing. Mike Babcock with us at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers should be uh, a lot of fun to, to see old uh, friends down in Norman. Uh, should be a lot of fun to kind of get a, a for sure measuring stick uh, for 2021. Uh, against uh, a playoff uh, hopeful if, if you're a Sooner fan. And, uh, you know, what, what are you feeling right now as uh, we look at Nebraska-Oklahoma here just days away? Well, you know, I, I, my opinion of the game has changed a little bit 
since before the season because I thought for sure Nebraska was going to get hammered down there. Uh, and, and it still could maybe happen, but I'm a little bit like uh, Blair Kirkhoff in that I think that Nebraska, because of the way the defense has played, if, if the offense can not self-destruct, um, I think Nebraska can be competitive. Now, I'm not saying Nebraska's going to win the game, but I think Nebraska can be competitive in this game. And that's kind of a change in my opinion uh, since the uh, season began. I, I just think that, uh, that maybe uh, Nebraska can be in that game. The, the key is whether the Huskers believe in themselves or not. That is so key. You're, you're right on. Does Nebraska believe you can coach them up? You can pump them up. You can put a great game plan together. You can go in with the the mentality and mindset, Mike, that why not go shoot your shot? But the the uh, the tagline has been no fear of failure, right? Right. Uh, can can Nebraska live that on Saturday? They've done it before. I think they're going to come in uh, pretty excited. I think there's some confidence from the last two weeks. Obviously, knowing who the opponents have been, and, and Buffalo's a good squad, they'll, they'll go bowling. But I think, I think you can see such a, a mentally different football team this Saturday from, from what you, you went into Illinois with. It's a complete contrast, a 180 from, from a pressure standpoint. All the pressure going into Champaign, uh, not a lot of pressure because everyone's telling you you're going to get whacked by 24. Yeah, and, you know, it's... The players have all talked about it, you know, nameless, faceless opponent and all that sort of thing. And, and you can talk like that, but, again, do they really believe? And, you know, the Illinois game is one is one element that, you know, maybe they don't yet believe because of what happened there. Um, but I hope that they're past that. And, again, I hope that they uh, believe in themselves. And the, you know, it doesn't mean they're going to win, but uh, it means that they could be competitive. And uh, um, I think that there's enough talent on the team that uh, that they can be. Mike Babcock's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Mike, specifically, in the last two weeks, what are the signs of progress that you've seen within this Husker football team that makes you think Nebraska can be competitive against Oklahoma on Saturday? Well, I like the way the defense has played. And, you know, the defense played pretty well against Illinois, too, but... Um, uh, the one I, I'm not really answering your question. The bigger concern, I have more concern, you know, because of the receiver situation. You know, who's healthy? Who's going to be out there playing? Um, you've you've got uh, and you, you had uh, Omar Manning, you had uh, uh, Oliver Martin, you had uh, Xavier Betts. You know, they're all hurt. Uh, Austin Allen got hurt. Travis Volkolek hasn't played yet. You know, what's going to happen in the, in the receiver room uh, to, to, to help Adrian Martinez? You know, it, it, it's going to be on him. Uh, you know, he's the guy that handles the ball every play. Um, is he going to have some players to throw to um, whom he has confidence? And, you know, can the offensive line take another step? That's another area where um, I thought the offensive line would be – to me, it's still a work in progress. I thought it would be further along than it is at this point. Um, so did I see some improvement there? I, I guess I have, but I don't know if, I, if it's improved to the point at which 
it needs to be for the competitiveness that we're talking about. Um, so it's it's more what I am not sure I've seen yet than it is what I've seen um, because I knew the defense would be pretty, or I thought the defense would be pretty good. I think it has been, um, but uh, you know the offensive line and the situation with receivers uh, are, are two questions that I have going into the game. Mike, I, I really don't have a question about what Adrian's going to give Nebraska with his legs, with his arm, with his poise. But you're right. What's the, the question uh, is, is the help he'll get, uh, be it with starters or guys that need to step up, uh, next man up, due to injury, the running game. I want to get into some, some series history thought on Nebraska-Oklahoma in just a second. But with the O-line, are they a liability Saturday? Are they beyond that that label? Are they a liability? And I and I ask that because of just the amount of four man pressure that they have they've been they've given up. Now I mean, and, and we'll know if if they stick with the, who they've uh, deemed starters or if guys win jobs this week. Are they beyond that here uh, in 2021? Well, no, I don't know if it's a liability. It's just the offensive line just hasn't been what I thought it would be at this point because because of the experience and because of the uh, you know the the talent level or you know what I took to be the talent level uh, in the offensive line so I don't know that necessarily it'll be a liability but you're right I mean it's got to be able to protect Adrian Martinez and you got to be able to establish some sort of a running game and that's you know Oklahoma's defense Oklahoma's got speed everywhere so it's it's going to be a real test, but again, I think that Nebraska can can hold hold its own to some degree um, if you get the play out of the offensive line and and some of the receivers are able to go. Mike Babcock's with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine here as we talk Nebraska Oklahoma. I am at Seacrest uh, in the wind tunnel. I will I refuse. <laughs> to give into the elements and I keep the doors open here uh, 85 and sunny beautiful uh, southwest and, and east freshman ball set to go Babbers give me your top three Nebraska Oklahoma moments uh, as you've studied this series you've been a part of it you've done biographies uh, on on the who's who of college football uh, with Nebraska and uh, this game was always so memorable it was measurable and it was uh, it was going to ruin or make your your Thanksgiving for so many Nebraska fans. Well, you know, and, and I'm going to set the '71 game of the century aside. You know, I watched that on TV like a lot of people did, and you know that certainly stands out. But the, the Oklahoma game that stands out most for me, for me now, this is a personal thing, is a 1978 game because it was the first game that I covered as a as a sports writer at the Lincoln Journal and Star. And I'll never forget that game. You know, 17 to 14, Nebraska. Uh, the Huskers were number four. I think Oklahoma was number one. Barry Switzer in his book Bootlegger's Boy wrote that uh, that might have been his best team. Uh, nine fumbles, six lost. Um, that's probably number one for me. Um, after that, you know, probably one that's really a highlight for me was the 1970 game, only because. I was in grad school, and that was the first Oklahoma-Nebraska game I actually attended. 
Um, and Nebraska was ranked. Oklahoma wasn't, but Oklahoma gave them a good go in 28-21, and Nebraska ended up winning that game. Uh, another game that I remember uh, was the 1979 game because that was my first time in Norman, Oklahoma. And as I've told people, uh, Nebraska lost the game 17-14, to um, but uh, as I've told people, um, you know, that, uh, of the road games when I traveled, uh, Oklahoma was always my favorite place to go. For one thing, I grew up with the Nebraska-Oklahoma uh, series. Uh, for another thing, the people in Oklahoma were so accommodating um, that it was always a pleasure to go down there. And, uh, you know, so that, you know, my first experience there um, was was a big deal. Uh, Blair mentioned the uh, 2001 game, and I think I've probably said this before, but I always felt like that was kind of the last hurrah for Nebraska. You know, uh, Nebraska was at the top of the world, beating Oklahoma, upset that day, and then the Colorado disaster, and Nebraska has not been consistently uh, nationally relevant since then. And uh, that was kind of the, the final, final uh, show for the Huskers. Mike Babcock's with us from Hale Varsity at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers here about 40 seconds or so. Do you ever stop and pinch yourself with some of the, the Sooner magic that existed? I mean, between Elvis <laughs> and Buster and uh, Keith Jackson, I mean, some, some incredible guys making plays that, that pulled OU out of the fire. Coach Osborne was so close so many times, and it was great and is great. But, man, OU just found a way so many different ways. Yeah, some of those games, you know, Oklahoma threw three passes in the game, you know, and maybe completed two of them, and then there it goes again. Um, yeah, the Sooner Magic, and, and you know, Broderick Thomas was the first one to really speak out because Huskers didn't really do that, but uh, our house and, you know, all the all the things that went with that. It, it, it's just the first Oklahoma-Nebraska game I saw was closed-circuit TV at Pershing Auditorium, 1962. <laughs> Can you believe that? We came down from York. Uh, they had big screens up there, went into Pershing Auditorium and watched Nebraska lose 34-6, to mm. Bob Devaney's first team. But, um, yeah, there's just so much. The, the other thing I would say is um, this rivalry meant more to Nebraska. It's always meant more to Nebraska than it does Oklahoma because Oklahoma's rival is Texas. I mean, you saw that when they – yeah. When they went to the to the Big Twelve and Texas went south and Nebraska, that that every year series ended. Um, that's and they're going to go to the SEC together. Um, that's Oklahoma's. That's always been Oklahoma's big rival. But for Nebraska, it was always Oklahoma. Mike Babcock with us. Babbers, thanks for taking some time to talk to you, Nebraska. We'll talk soon, bud. Hey, great. We're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back in Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, uh, Elijah Herbal here at Seacrest Field as uh, we are uh, gearing up for Nebraska-Oklahoma Saturday. It is Sooner Week. Uh, what's really awesome, though, get a chance to, to watch some freshman ball here as it kicks off at uh, 5 o'clock Southwest and Lincoln East 
excited for that uh, as Junior and his uh, mates from Southwest are trying to stay unbeaten. East, a heck of a program, incredible squad as they're both warming up right now. Just snuck into the booth and did sneak in thanks to uh, the crew with uh, LPS for opening up. <laughs> so uh, it, it's fun. I'm, I'm still trying to find uh, number 38 in white. Uh, not him. Yeah, the catch was made. Uh, kidding, kidding. Uh, let's get uh, some more thoughts here on Nebraska-Oklahoma. Brad Edwards, he, uh, former ESPN insider, college football analyst with us here next hour. We'll check in and spend some time for sure with uh, Rick Pizzo, get his take on Nebraska. He was up close and personal on the sideline for BTN last week. We head out to Wilderness Ridge and say hi to Mike Shuhart. Uh, uh, Shuey with us uh, every Wednesday at 440. Shuey, what do you know? Uh, are, you, are you ready for some football Saturday? Thanks for the time. Oh, yeah. Always ready for football Saturday. Well, I'm at your old stomping grounds here because uh, you're an East dude and, and uh, freshman ball set to go shortly here That's with awesome. Southwest and, and, and uh, Lincoln East. But, you know, I want to kind of get your take. Uh, you grew up watching Nebraska, Oklahoma. True or false in the uh, mid to late 70s, Shuey, you had a Pluck the Peacock T-shirt. <laughs> I did not have one, but I, I, I did see many people wearing those. Pluck the Peacock. <laughs> oh, there were lots of nasty Oklahoma players that we wanted to pluck. Not so, just him. Who's the uh, who's the? If you had to pick your number one Sooner villain, who is it? Keith Jackson. Oh. He tore our house out that one year. We had him beat. He makes the miraculous catch down the sidelines, and it's like tore our hearts out. I'll never forget that one. Where were you? I was at home watching with my dad. We were both screaming, and he doesn't scream. <laughs> <laughs> so without that, that took literally uh, Elvis Peacock-esque 40 or 100-yard dash, 100-meter yard dash response. Ah, yeah. Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson. Hey, so let's talk uh, about Saturday. We'll get into some uh, some wilderness thoughts in a moment. Uh, a, a take, though, uh, do you feel like Nebraska maybe has a little bit of momentum going on here uh, where this thing can stay competitive, this thing can, can be uh, a little closer than, than uh, what Vegas says, or are you just worried about getting out alive? Yeah, we're going to get slaughtered. I mean, they... Their special teams are just absolutely horrendous, which is a third of the football. And if your special teams are giving up more points to the opposing team than they're getting you, you're in trouble. That's a third of it right there. Our offensive line is not very good. They can't pick up any blitz in packages, so and they get pushed around. So, But Martinez is one heck of an athlete, man. He is pretty fun. He's incredible with some of the stuff that he's able to do. So he's good for some exciting plays. You know, and our defense is okay. I just think they're too, they'll wear us down and we'll make too many mistakes. And before you know it, they'll be a little out of control. So just waiting for the other team to make more mistakes than we do. That keeps us kind of in the game, but that doesn't seem to happen very often. Mike Schuart's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And 
Mike, the line right now set at 22. It opened at 23, so moving towards Nebraska. Uh, but what, what's a score line that would leave you walking away from this game on Saturday feeling like, okay, Nebraska's made some progress. Maybe I'll tune in for some games uh, as, as the year progresses. Oh, I guess 31-24. That means our defense actually held up halfway decent. You know, they're pretty high-powered offense. They're going to score some points. So that means you, you kind of shut them down a little bit, and you were able to score some points yourself. So something like that would be at least encouraging. You know, the encouraging part is just you want to see them play better. I mean, you just want to see them play pretty decent in three phases of the game, and they've never been able to do that. They haven't two at the best, but normally it's just one. So it's like, that's that's what I'm looking for. I want to see them play three phases of the game halfway decent. Mike Schwartz with us. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're on the road here at Seacrest. Freshman ball east and southwest set to touch gloves in about 15 minutes. I'm in the uh, Chuck Stevens booth and... Elijah's back at our studio. Shuey's, Shuey, are you out on the deck? Are you out on the putting green? Are you out on the uh, the tee box? Where are you, bud? I'm out here. I'm out here on the driving range, okay. watching one of my young students hit some shots and working with him a little bit. How about so that? that that is that sounds like aside from being at Seacrest, being out on the driving range at Wilderness would be a high high draft pick. Quite honestly, especially today, uh, man, it's beautiful out. Oh, it's incredible. It, it is so good. So give us a rundown here, bud, as, as far as fall golf with Wilderness memberships. Of course, that swim bar. How, how's my swim bar coming along? Oh, wait till next week. So they're getting things prepped. They're going to start pouring some concrete next week. You're going to start seeing some flooring. You're going to start seeing some walls take shape. So it's actually going to start to look like a lazy river swim-up bar. It's pretty exciting pretty exciting and our new pro shop and and learning center is well that's about ready to open here probably within the next couple weeks so it's it's beautiful Shuey it sounds like I can go play 18 get get that swing work kink worked out from you and then go just have a cold one and float on the river. That's what you're telling me. Man, you got a day that you can go play some golf, get a little work on your golf swing. When you're done, you can go have a little beverage while you're floating along the lazy river. I mean, what a day. It doesn't get any better than that. Should we tell us uh, how folks can, can get info on membership at Wilderness Ridge, and then I need a score prediction, my, my good friend. So go to wildernessridgegolf.com. Cammy uh, Nagel is our membership chairman. So all her contact information is on, on the website. Contact her. She can give you all the information you need to know about membership, uh, different kinds of membership, what's available. So uh, she's awesome. She's good stuff. So give Cammy a call and give you everything you need to know. Score prediction? Hmm. Hmm, 64-17. Wow, Shuey says uh, OU covers. We'll talk next week, bud. Thanks for the time. All right, you have a good one. Thanks. Go Spartans. There he is. (laughs) Shuey. (laughs) We'll wind down hour one on Hale Varsity. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio.
One final time this hour, it's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal can watch us on the stream yard and our social with ESPN Lincoln Facebook. Uh, we are out here at Seacrest Field because it's a huge one. Lincoln East and, of course, Lincoln Southwest, the freshman team. They are pad popping here, getting uh, through a few final moments of warm-up. Six minutes from kickoff. And I will contain my excitement if and when Junior makes a big play uh, today for uh, for Southwest. You heard Shuey, Mike Shuhart, Wilderness Ridge. He's a Spartan through and through, and he gave the old shout-out to Lincoln East. So it'll be friendly today, uh, no doubt. Uh, a, a friendly, as they call it. A reminder about buckling up 70% of fatal crashes in Nebraska. Uh, folks are not wearing their seatbelt. If used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury by up to 60%. Your best defense in any crash buckling up brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Mike Babcock's incredible. Uh, check that segment out uh, on Facebook. Uh, the StreamYard, of course, uh, ESPN Lincoln. Uh, .com, the on-demand section, and uh, for sure on uh, the podcast as well on ESPN Lincoln. The uh, the Twitter handle will post that interview. Brad Edwards is coming up. Rick Pizzo on the way, and then a jock doc. So we asked Babbers his his top three moments. And as a, as a kid growing up watching Nebraska football, my there's been a lot of them, right, that that I've seen. But my favorite is this was this goes back to kind of your your introduction to Nebraska Oklahoma. It was post Switzer, but it was that first Oklahoma game in '91. Musburger and Dick Vermeil are doing the game, and it's cold, and OU's up 14 to God, I forget 14 to three. Okay. And it's just frigid, and, and OU's ranked, but they're like, okay, they're in jail because they did wrong and naughty things. <laughs> and the NCAA still had a fraternity paddle to use at the time. So long and short, Nebraska's down 14-3. to three. OU goes for it to start off the third quarter. And long and short, uh, it's Calvin Jones, it's Will Shields, it's Keith and McCann, it's the black shirt defense that, that pretty much sh- that, that does shut out Oklahoma in the second half, Coach McBride and company, and it's uh, it's rain, it's it's Nebraska's trailing, there's six minutes left, and there's a counter play left side. Calvin takes it, gets to the end zone, place erupts. It's incredible. I still see it to, to this day, the 91 game. Uh, and what it was important was because Colorado and Nebraska tied, so it was for... Who gets to go to the Orange Bowl, Colorado or Nebraska? That would have been the Buffs' third straight Big 8 championship and a third straight Orange Bowl. So OU, Nebraska, 91's there. I wasn't down there for it, but uh, Neil Harris saving the day in 83. As OU had it at the two-yard line, a penalty drew him back to the to the, to the seven, a couple of sacks, and then you have uh, Neil Harris on fourth down. Switzer's in the... Uh, in, on the sideline, Switzer's bent down on a knee. Switzer's smoking a heater. He's having a cigarette on the sideline with, a, with one of those corduroy hats that say beat Nebraska. He's got a heater on the sideline. <laughs> he had it kind of cupped uh, like he's a peaky blinder, and then he put it out. It was pretty good. I miss the 80s. Uh, I wasn't <laughs> alive for him, but I miss him. It, it was good. So Neil Harris, Calvin Jones... And then I got to go 
uh, Wistrom uh, annihilating OUN95. Hour two is on the way. We're here at Seacrest Field with Hale Varsity. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmidt underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmidt. Welcome to it. It's Hour 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We're here out at Seacrest Field as it's freshman ball, Southwest and Lincoln East. A big-time conversion by Southwest on 3rd and 15. They hook it up for about uh, 17 yards or so. as uh, plenty of time by that uh, Southwest offensive line. Uh, and a uh, really nice strike there for the uh, the Silverhawks to to keep the drive alive. They got an incredible uh, kickoff return by Griffin Simrad, who just gets into the end zone on a zone read play for about 60 yards. Uh, Jace Erickson also some work on the ground. And then a big third and long conversion. Simrad with the payoff. And I know Southwest uh, doing the extra point thing right now, 6 nothing over East. Let's get to some college football as we welcome in Brad Edwards, college football insider and author as we talk uh, a big week of college football. Brad, how you doing? Uh, uh, a full slate this weekend. First, tell me how the book tour's been, bud. Oh, it's been nice. Uh, you know, been able to, to go to a bunch of different places, uh, three states, so far, uh, had uh, trips to, uh, to to Houston and to uh, Sarasota, uh, in addition to uh, a few places in Alabama, and um, getting a lot of a uh, lot of you know good feedback on the book, and uh, so that that part's exciting, and uh, we just keep it going. I'm going to just keep keep going back and forth from Connecticut to Alabama uh, all fall, and uh, hopefully be able to sell a lot more. I've had a, a few purchases from Nebraska already. Uh, which is which is good. I don't I don't even know for sure that they're Alabama fans. They uh, they could just be college football fans. But uh, happy to see you know people buying the book all over the country. Really, I think it's already thirty seven states in the first month uh, that uh, purchases have come from. Well, that they're, they're Brad Edwards fans, which they should be. So that's that's awesome. What's the the first couple weeks of college football told you? Uh, there's Bama. And then yes, there's about everybody else. But what's what's been your your reaction? Not only as as you look at where Clemson's at, but Ohio State, Oregon. Uh, give me a, a thought from you on just where where the hierarchy's at. Who's wowed you and who's underwhelmed you? Yeah, I mean, let me start with the fact that there have been a few games already involving ranked teams. Uh, some of them ranked versus ranked uh, that have been surprisingly low scoring. Where um, I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, did, you know, the, the lack of spring practice a year ago in some way, you know, contribute uh, to a kind of a historical level of, of a lack of defense in 2020? Um, because I, I, I had kind of reached the point where I just didn't think anyone was going to play defense anymore. And then, and then we end up with, with some low scoring games between good teams. And so, I mean, I, I'm happy to see that. I'm glad, you know, glad every now and then that you, you do get some, uh, some good defense, but um I think that the biggest thing for me is, you know, just that there are generally four teams. You could, you could maybe argue for a fifth, but uh, four teams 
that, that probably have more talent than everybody else in the sport. And, you know, we're used to seeing at least three of those teams uh, as regulars in the playoff. And obviously a couple of them in Ohio State and Clemson have already lost a game in the first two weeks. And so, you know, now that we're looking at uh, the, the probability that both of those teams have to run the table in order to get in the playoff, you, you do have to wonder, will this be the year that we maybe get some fresh faces in there? And, uh, you know, you, you say that recognizing that, look, there's, there, there's still a chance as we sit here right now that both Alabama and Georgia could get into the playoff, uh, as they both did in 2017. And Oklahoma is still very much alive. Uh, Nebraska hopes to do something about that this weekend, I know. But, um, um, you know, you, you could still end up with, uh, with, with, with most of the usual suspects there. But at least the, the table is kind of set for that possibility that there could be uh, someone crashing the party. And, uh, and, and Oregon, you know, is in a great position for that. Now, they're obviously not coming out of nowhere. They've, you know, they've been in that national championship mix at least a couple of times uh, over the last 12 seasons or so. But um, uh, that was really impressive last week, especially when you consider who they were missing on defense to, to go into the horseshoe, uh, come away with a win like that. I think, I think you know, that's something the Pac-12 has really been missing in recent years. And you, you had a, a good win by UCLA over LSU in week one, but to follow that up with what Oregon did in week two, uh, even Colorado putting a scare into A&M. I know A&M lost its starting quarterback in the first quarter, but still – um, really good start for the Pac-12, and I, I think that's that's good for college football. I just whether they ultimately get in the playoff or not, I, I I don't think we need an entire region of the country to to kind of check out as far as its interest in the postseason um, midway through the year, which uh, which has basically happened the last uh, last three seasons. Totally agree with you that uh, the, the Pac-12. Uh, can can absolutely tune out if there's not reason to tune in and. Uh, there's been some good ball played, not only by by UCLA, but by Oregon. Uh, before we get to Nebraska-Oklahoma, what's your take on Iowa? Uh, back-to-back ranked wins. I know they've uh, they've, they've been Iowa-like <laughs> with their yeah. wins, but uh, they have been dominant defensively and, and just good enough offensively. Are you wait and see on Iowa, or have they shown you enough to be impressed and, and maybe be the Big Ten representative? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, these days in college football, you would expect that the team's going to have to be a little bit more potent offensively to be able to, you know, to get to the playoff. Obviously, there's plenty of time for them to, to still continue to get better on offense, uh, but that that would be my, my big question. Not so much are they good enough to kind of keep this going throughout the regular season. Off the top of my head, I don't think they play Ohio State in the regular season. And, uh, and so, you know, could they, could they beat everybody else? On a given day, sure. Um, and so maybe they could end up in position where they could get into that Big Ten championship game. And then um, you, you just you just got to do enough to win it. Now, I mean, whether they you know are able to get out of the Big Ten and get into that playoff or not. So basically, whether it's Ohio State or whether it's you know whomever might be waiting in the uh, in the semifinal. Um, you you got to have much more offensively uh, to be able to do something. Um, I was going to say do something significant, but if you're Iowa, winning the Big Ten is quite significant enough. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think you need to do any more than that. So, they're they're in a good spot. Obviously, they've gotten past one really good team on their schedule uh, last weekend, and 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 so I think there's uh, there's a lot of potential there. Brett, I think it's 
Um, not unreasonable to assume that an 11-1 Ohio State could make it into the college football playoff after a loss to Oregon. They're to go run the table from here on out. Um, but could you see a, 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 an Iowa team, say they go 11-1, losing the Big Ten championship game to Ohio State, could you see them making it into the college football playoff as well? Or is uh, the two teams making the college football playoff reserved for the SEC? Well, I, I, I don't know that it's so much reserved for the SEC as much as you would say the SEC is more likely to, to get that scenario. I, I think the reality is, is that in order to get in without being a conference champion, which obviously means you're going to have at least one loss, um, that you, you're going to need to dominate in, in all of your wins. Okay, You might be able to survive a loss somewhere. Um, that, and, and obviously you're talking about either, either a loss that, that – keeps you from winning the division or a loss in the conference championship game. Um, but you need to be incredibly impressive and not be playing close games pretty much every other time you take the field. And I, I, think, I think that's where the Big Ten is going to have, have a problem. You know, it's because, because at this point, Ohio State's going to have to win the conference to get in. So you'd have to say, is, is there a team other than Ohio State in the league that could potentially you know, win every game except for the Big Ten championship? and dominate all of those games to the point where there's no question that they're still one of the four best teams. And, and I would say no. In fact, I would, I would say based on, what Ohio, I mean, based on what Iowa did on offense against Iowa State, like you're already like, okay, good win. But, and, of course, the other thing is we, we don't know how good Iowa State's going to end up being. We, we think that they're good based on the last couple of years, but they might not end up having a, a great season, which would certainly change the outlook for Iowa. So, you know, I think when you look at, at Alabama and Georgia, um, there, there's an assumption, which might not turn out to be true, but there's an assumption that both of those teams are just going to kind of roll through the regular season before they get to each other. And if they do and they, they don't you know, get very many challenges along the way, then I think there's a good chance that the, the loser of that game might still get in. Um, but that's the only way it's going to happen. You're going to have to go out there and just dominate uh, most of your games outside of you know, the one that you lose. Brad Edwards with us, college football insider and author. Hail Varsity Radio Roadshow here at Seacrest Field as uh, you have another touchdown tacked on the board by Lincoln Southwest. Again, Griffin Simrad around right end. Play set up by Kavion Reynolds for 45 yards up the sideline. And uh, Southwest flying here all over East, 12 nothing. Brad, a, a thought on Nebraska-Oklahoma, what this series has meant to you as as a college football fan, but also a college football analyst. Uh, and then, you know, what what do you need from Adrian Martinez if you're the Big Red, not only to cover, <laughs> but also maybe hang around here. Let's uh, look at the matchup after the impact of this series. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the second part of it, which is, you know, I, I'd go back to Tulane, and I, I would I would look at what Tulane was able to do that kind of kept Oklahoma's defense off balance and, you know, gave them a good chance, and, uh, and that's to be able to run the ball, and that includes being able to run it with the quarterback. Um, uh, I think Oklahoma's got a pretty good pass rush, and, that, and, and so you don't want to end up in situations where it's obvious you're going to throw the ball. I think you've got to stay ahead of, get, stay ahead of the chains against them. And, uh, and obviously it's going to help if you can force some turnovers. I mean, Spencer Rattler, um, I, I think the jury's still out on him. I mean, I, and I don't mean as far as whether he's a decent quarterback. I think he's clearly a good quarterback. But the jury's still out on whether he's ever going to get to the level that, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, where I know we're talking about Heisman Trophy winners. 
Um, but coming in as a five-star quarterback, there was an expectation by a lot of people um, that that's what he would be. Um, and, and, you know, at this point, he hasn't even quite gotten to the Jalen Hurts level yet. And so uh, I, I still think um, that he's going to have to show some improvement in order for them to, you know, to be that team that's going to, you know, make a good run and have a chance to finally get a playoff win for Oklahoma. Um, and, and so I think he's important to this game as well uh, in that his accuracy is going to be a big part of it. And, you know, he, he had some bad throws against Tulane, and that's what, that's what made that a game in the fourth quarter. So I think if you're Nebraska, you need both of those things. You need to be able to run the ball offensively, and you need to be able to prevent the big plays, uh, force Oklahoma to, uh, to move the ball uh, in smaller increments and hopefully make some mistakes. And, uh, and you know, if, if nothing else, you have to take some uh, consolation or, or, or at least some hope from, you know, from the fact that, that Tulane was able to, to be competitive with them. So I, I'd start there, and, and then, you know, as far as the, the series itself, I mean, unfortunately, it's been so long since these two teams, uh, you know, have played each other and played regularly, you know, because of everything that happened due to the, you know, conference realignment. And as much as I'm excited that, you know, Texas and Texas A&M are going to start playing again now, uh, you know, you look at the possibility of, of, you know, maybe Bedlam going away and some of the uh, the other things that always just seem to be the, um, I guess, the unintended consequences of, of you know, of, of programs making moves for more money and stuff like that. And obviously, um, I, I, there probably weren't any bigger ones that fell by the wayside than Oklahoma and Nebraska. And, and uh, I, I mean, I don't have to tell you, I'm sure it's been the, been the talk uh, for the last few weeks, the 50th anniversary of one of the great games in college football history. And uh, obviously, uh, um, a, a great, great team for Nebraska. Um, and a very memorable game for them. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's a shame that uh, this is, at least on paper, not another one of those, and it's, it's even more of a shame um, that, that the teams uh, are not able to play each other on a regular basis. And that, that would be my number one takeaway. It's going to be nice to see those uniforms on the field together again, but at the same time it's going to be a little sad to think that um, – we're, we're, we're not going to be able to see that uh, on a regular basis and, and obviously haven't for quite some time. Brad Edwards is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Brad, to go back to that Tulane game a little bit, that's really Oklahoma's only real test. When you go back and watch that game, they really jumped out to a big lead early and then some, uh, some second-half mistakes. Seems like they took their foot off the gas just a little bit. Uh, kind of led to Tulane getting back into that game. Do you think Oklahoma has really been all that battle-tested uh, through their first two games of the season? I know last week was a cakewalk, but how much do you consider that game against Tulane to actually be a test for this Oklahoma team? Well, I think it probably benefits them that, that, that they've had to be in a fight in the fourth quarter because sometimes, uh, you know, teams like Oklahoma uh, against their schedule can get, you know, fairly late in the season without having to, you know, play snaps in, in late in games where it's hanging in the balance. And, uh, you know, sometimes they run into an opponent that's already played a few games like that. And, you know, that might be advantage to the other team. So I I think they'd probably tell you as much as they didn't want it to happen that way, that there's some value in having already experienced that. Um, you know, the weird thing about that game was is that Oklahoma jumped, um, I'm sorry, Tulane jumped up uh, on them, like right out of the gate. They, I think they scored touchdowns in their first two drives. And uh, Oklahoma then kind of settled in defensively. And I, I think it was a combination of those two things, which was a little bit of a scare right away. And then I think once they started to assert themselves on both sides of the ball and pulled away, it was like, okay, we got this under control. 
And I think there was a little bit more relaxing because of that than there would have been if they had just uh, just just dominated from the very start. And so um, it was a weird game for sure. And, um, you know, look, if, if Tulane had scored late, would Oklahoma have still, you know, with 45 seconds or whatever to go, uh, you know, not gone down the field and, and won it anyway? I mean, it's, it's, it's possible that that still could have happened. But um, – but but it, it does it does change your mind at least for now about Oklahoma and how you know how dominant um, that they really are this year and there's just there's a, there's a lot of football left to be played and there've been many many teams you know over the years that we have been very wrong about at the end of week two so we'll we'll see uh, what Oklahoma ends up being but uh, but but certainly like I said before if you're Nebraska. Um, you do get some confidence going in, knowing that this is a team that has already shown through the first two games that they are beatable. Brad, real quick, where can folks get your book and tell folks about your book? About 15 seconds, bud. Yeah, so the, the book's called Dynasty by the Numbers, and it's basically about uh, how much Alabama has dominated college football during the Saban era. You can get it on my website at BamaDynastyBook.com. Brad, we'll talk soon. Thanks for the time, bud. You got it. Thank you, guys. Take care. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back at it, Hale Varsity Radio. It's a road show Wednesday as we're here at Seacrest Field, sunshine and uh, just gorgeous. We had to sneak out and see how Junior's playing outside linebacker for the freshman team for Southwest. We say hi to... Uh, Rick Pizzo, Big Ten Network, Big Ten Buffet. Rick, it was uh, awesome to, to see you on the sidelines with Nebraska Buffalo. Back at it for another week. How you doing? Doing great, man. And by the way, Hope Jr. has a game today like Luke Reimer had against Buffalo. That'd be a pretty good start. That would be wonderful. We would have to do DNA testing um, if, uh, <laughs> if, if he had a game like Luke did, man. Luke was all over it. Incredible. This is the same field Luke Reimer used to roam. For, uh, for Lincoln North Star making so many plays in his high school career. But, uh, Rick, your take, uh, you didn't melt, thank the good Lord. Uh, it was so hot down on the field. You're, uh, you're a tough dude, though. But uh, overall, what did you think of Nebraska and, uh, and, and what they did and maybe what they didn't do against Buffalo? What, what, what did you walk away with? Well, first, I hope that people understand that that's a really good win. That's a quality non-conference win. That Buffalo team is good. They're tough up front. They have a great young coach, obviously a quarterback who is very comfortable, took a ton of snaps, really good running back. That's a good win for Nebraska, and I hope people understand that. Also, I love the physicality, and defensively, I think this team did everything it needed to do to give the offense a chance to find its groove. And it took too long. There's no doubt about it. But Adrian showed you exactly what makes him so dangerous. That 71-yard run was a thing of beauty when it looked like he was dead to rights in the backfield. So I think this is a lot to build on. I really do. And I know folks will say, well, it only got out of hand late, and this is a game they're supposed to win. This is a game that easily could have gone the other way in the first half or early in the second half if the Nebraska defense hadn't stepped up and if the offense hadn't closed it out. So I thought there were a lot of pop on. I know that there was some sloppiness late, and I talked to Scott afterwards, and he said certainly that there are some things that need to be improved upon, but it is always easier to listen to the coaches, always easier to improve what you did wrong when you're doing so coming off a win. 
Rick Pizzo's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, absolutely, and a couple of good weeks in a row for Nebraska football, and, and I'm with you. I think Buffalo's a really nice win. Uh, it's an impressive win. Uh, you had another member of the Max scare the, the daylights out of Notre Dame uh, just last weekend where the Irish had to make it happen, so but there's no uh, take-for-granted type situations or setups anymore on Saturdays for, for college football. Uh, defense was incredible. Rick, to your eye and to your football background, what, what do you think's going on? What's up with, with the run game, with the O-line? Nebraska just doesn't seem to be getting a push or holding a block as long as they need to. Adrian's been great. Whole different ball game, whole different opponent this weekend. It is, but Chris, I think it's really hard, and I think this is why I know in today's world of college football that most coaches would love to have two guys that can, they can rely on all the time because the running backs take a beating, because the guys are so much bigger and stronger and faster and hit so much harder. You don't want a guy to get crushed you know, snap after snap because there's not a lot of guys who can hold up to that kind of pounding. But I do think when you're trying to find a guy, it looked like it was going to be step. And then Scott said he was really impressed last week against Fordham that Urban ran harder and meaner. So then Urban's going to get a couple more snaps in this game. And what happens is it's hard to get into a rhythm, right? You're a running back. You like to get into a rhythm. You like to get maybe 15 or 18 carries. But if you're spreading them out, that's tough to do. And it is a different blocking scheme for an offensive line, depending on who is running behind you. I know they're supposed to do the same things and they're supposed to execute. That's in theory. In reality and in practice, every offensive lineman will tell you they know who's getting the ball and they know that sometimes that means that things are going to be different behind them. So I think that's part of it. I also think that when you have a quarterback that has the ability to break the pocket and run like Adrian, it also puts extra stress on the offensive line sometimes as well because they have to be aware when he is coming out of the pocket. So I think it's multifaceted. I think there's a lot of different reasons. But I do think that if you can find one guy who you can rely on, even if it's four yards a carry, I'm not asking for eight and a half, nine, but if you can go four yards a carry and get a guy who's giving you that 18, 20 rushes a game, I think it would be much better for the team if you're able to go with one guy to do that. Rick Pizzo's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Big Ten Network, as uh, we talk Nebraska here, gearing up for Oklahoma. Rick, uh, a monumental game for the Big Red, uh, the history, the tradition, the the – the two big reds meeting again. Usually it's the day after Thanksgiving for oh so many years, but it's back on the schedule. As a sports fan growing up, as a college football fan, what's, uh, what's Oklahoma and Nebraska mean to you? Well, so I'm a little older, obviously, than, than a lot of folks that look back and when they started watching this rivalry, what, in the mid to late 90s when Scott and others played in it, right? Oklahoma wasn't very good. So I'm older than that. So I got to see this rivalry in the 80s, you know, when both teams were really, really good. And, you know, even growing up in the Northeast, there was one of those games in out of your area that you wanted to watch. I mean, for me, back then it was that game. It was Notre Dame and Miami when they got together. It was Michigan and Ohio State. And it was a very small group of games that you really cared about no matter where you lived in the country, right? And that was one of them. And I'm really glad that it's back on the schedule. I hope that they find a way to make this a more than every now and then home and home. I know there's going to be 
issues and scheduling and is the Big Ten going to, you know, the, the discussion of other conferences going to more conference games and cutting down on opportunities. But it's one of those games, man. I, I hope you're able to keep it on a more regular basis, if not a permanent non-conference kind of basis. You think it's close or is this just all Oklahoma? They're too good. They're too talented from what you've seen of them. Yeah, they're really good, Chris. I mean, listen, though, Tulane scared them right in week one. I mean, obviously, I think I think Nebraska can score points against the Oklahoma defense. I really do. This is not a team that is built defensively. It's a team that's built offense first, much like Nebraska. So you're not seeing basically a mirror image of yourself, but you're seeing something very similar. So what you've got to do is score enough points that you're hanging around in the third quarter, right? And when you start hanging around the third quarter on the road, then the home team often starts to get a little anxious. Is Oklahoma a full three touchdowns? What is it, 22 the last time I saw it? Yeah. 22 points better? I think that's a little bit excessive, to be honest. But, yes, I mean, Nebraska is a true underdog in this game, and I don't think there's any doubt. I'd be crazy to tell you if they go on the road and pick up this win, it would not be considered anything other than an upset because it will be. No, it will be, and you were hoping by year four that this thing would be kind of your, your launching point uh, opportunity. Now, can you play well and, and keep it in your back pocket? Nebraska's beyond moral victory, that aside. Yep. you got to um, do your thing if you're Nebraska and go play confidently. bit windy here at Seacrest, so forgive me there, Pizzo. <laughs> We've got these swirling winds going. Uh, Rick Pizzo hey, with us talking in Nebraska. This, we've done this show before when I'm outside with Otto barking at you, so no worries on the wind on my end. Oh, the, the garbage can is now flying. Oops. Uh, Rick, uh, I want to get your take on some of the Big Ten. And panic level is at what? What's DEFCON in Columbus right now? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a little bit too much panic, to be honest with you, and all the discussion about is Kerry Combs going to stick around as the D.C., or at least is he going to call plays. And, you know, Ryan Day was very vocal on Tuesday, I think a little uncharacteristically, saying, yeah, when the defense doesn't play well and I'm worried about the defense and I'm worried about the special teams not doing what they're supposed to do, it takes away from what I can do as a head coach because I'm also the offensive play caller. And, you know, that's basically taking your guys and putting them up front and saying, coach better. And I didn't mind it at all, but I think it does maybe start to open up some questions about what can be done defensively with this team. But the sky's not falling. I mean, everybody has to look back to a few years ago when Ohio State loses to Virginia Tech to start the year, right? And the next thing you know, they're in the national championship game. So uh, there are plenty of opportunities for this team to build back up. They are still going to be considered the favorite in the East. Now, with Iowa's start, maybe they're not considered the prohibitive favorite in the conference overall, but they still control their own destiny. I mean, I would put a lot of money on the fact that if they run the table and beat a quality team like Iowa, who's going to be ranked really highly, or somebody else out of the West in the Big Ten championship game, I still think they are, what, 90% at that point to go to the college football playoff? So they just got to figure things out, but uh, there's no time to panic. Not right now. It's too early. Rick Pizos with us. Rick, a thought with uh, this weekend's slate of games. Any, any uh, upsets you see, or do you think this is a really good opportunity for the Big Ten to, to kind of bounce back after the Oregon-Ohio State here with the non-conference schedule. Yeah, and one game you didn't mention, Chris, Penn State hosts or uh, Auburn. Uh, so when yes, you look at the schedule yes. as a whole, right, you have five non-conference ranked opponents. This is the first time the Big Ten has played a schedule 
that included five ranked non-conference opponents in the same weekend since 1975. So this is historic. I mean, this is almost 50 years since something like this happened. I think Penn State's in great shape. I think Michigan State is a team right now that can go on the road and beat Miami. We saw Miami barely survive Appalachian State after getting smashed by Alabama. And I think if I was going to pick a true upset, why can't Purdue beat Notre Dame? I mean, Notre Dame escapes Florida State in overtime, a Florida State team that then loses to Jacksonville State the next weekend. And Notre Dame needs a last-minute touchdown to beat Toledo, which you referenced at the beginning of the show. So are these games considered upsets, at least maybe mild upsets? Perhaps. But I think all of those games are gettable. I really do. I think Minnesota could beat Colorado. I think Michigan State could beat Miami. I do think Purdue can beat Notre Dame. I think Penn State is a favorite over Auburn. So I think this is an opportunity for the Big Ten. Yes, it's a challenge, but I think the Big Ten has a great opportunity this weekend to maybe change the narrative a little bit that I think may have been affected by Ohio State's loss to Oregon. That's the well put, changing the narrative. About 90 seconds, Rick, and we'll get you out. Thanks so much. Uh, A thought here on USC and James Franklin. Uh, Does SC make a phone call at some point? I think SC makes a phone call, yeah. Now, I have no idea whether Franklin would have interest, but I think USC is crazy not to look at a young coach who is media-friendly. You know, uh, I mean, I think he checks almost all the boxes for USC, but he's a guy who also does a lot for Penn State, and he's got one of the top recruiting classes in the country. I think, if I'm not wrong, right now, their recruiting class for next year is either number one or number two in the country nationally. Now, I may not stay there because you have so much that's going to happen before then, but he's got an unbelievable recruiting class. You have an opportunity, I think, to make inroads in the East and get back to playing on par with Ohio State. So is USC going to make a phone call? I think absolutely they're going to make a phone call. Obviously, the question is, does James Franklin have interest in that phone call? And that I have no idea about. Rick, we'll get caught up again. Thanks for uh, your time. Thanks for your insight on on Nebraska, and uh, have a good weekend, bud. My pleasure, man. Tell Junior, rap into the ground. (laughs) Rap into the ground. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a caught preteen Swedish boy. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's NFL season underway, and a uh, long list of walking wounded, and some not walking at all. Dr. Ben Woodhead with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. Dr. Ben, good to be with you. And one of my favorite quarterbacks, because he's ageless, uh, got dinged up for Washington. That's Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know. If you look at the injury, it looks like he really took a hit, and as he went down, he wasn't able to get up, so it's unfortunate for Fitzpatrick. Well, Fitzpatrick's alter ego fits magic, right? I mean, you've got the beard, you've got the do, sometimes you've got the open collar, the the chest hair, the gold chains, but the man's (laughs) pushing 40, and every team he goes to, he throws for about 450 yards. (laughs) Yeah, he's had a career that's kind of been timeless. I, he might be the next Tom Brady, you never know. Yeah, right. Uh, just ask Tom about that. But uh, with um, with Washington, they've had to place Fitzmagic on injured reserve. And it's uh, 
uncertain whether it's going to be a short or a long stay. The MRI revealed that Fitzpatrick had a, a right hip subluxation. Uh, explain that to me here, because I hear that. I think, oh, God, is it Bo Jackson bad? What's going on here with uh, with the hip issue and the MRI? Yeah, you know, without having the actual MRI knowing exactly what they found, you know, we can only speculate. But, you know, similar to, like, the shoulder, you can sublux in and out. Um, unfortunately for the hip, well, or fortunately, it's not as common, but sometimes it can be more catastrophic because when when they talk about subluxation, you have a you have a ball in a socket joint. So as that ball shifts out of the socket, you can tear soft soft tissue structures as it comes out, or you know even worse, you can actually have a fracture as it comes out. And so I'm assuming what they found suggestive of the subluxation was that he tore his labrum, which is the bumper around the the socket for the hip and you know they're going to wait for that to heal as they gradually get him back into play you know the other problem is they don't know how he'll actually respond to the rehab and so that's why i think they had said three games but you know it's open-ended it could be even longer yep six to eight weeks kind of the timeline here and uh, when it comes to to recovery say you have dislocation your guys's role dr ben to get him uh, put back together again and then start the healing process. How do you guys go about that? Well, as long as it's just his bumper, the labrum around <clears throat> around the hip, the plan would be to rehab, let it rest, let it heal, gradually let him get back into play and see how he does. Worst case scenario is once he gets to that healing point, whether he, as he starts to get back, you know, he might have a significant amount of pain, symptoms of where his hip is shifting in and out. And so that's why they keep it open-ended, because if he does get to that point and feels like it's not stable, you know, they might have to go to more invasive measures such as surgery. And so that's why that's why they'll watch him over time and kind of see how he progresses. A uh, Jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center, and uh, Dr. Ben Woodhead with us. Ryan Fitzpatrick, our topic. He's on IR for Washington. The uh, hip subluxation, what we're discussing here now, it's his right hip. He's a right-handed thrower. He's in the pocket, left side of his body facing the receivers. So you go back and that plant foot, that push off, that lower body kind of transition to get into your throwing motion. Could this affect uh, velocity, accuracy, the deep ball? What's, what's the long-term injury effect of this hip? Yeah, you certainly think with the throwing motion and planting off that right foot that it could cause some pain. And every time he does plant, you know, he's going he's gonna to be well aware that he has pain. The biggest issue for him, though, is how it's going to feel in terms of stability. And so as he goes to cut, as he goes to pivot, as he goes to plant that foot, is it feeling like it's going to shift in and out? And so that, you know, even without having as much power, just that mental component of feeling like his hip is going to slip out is what could be problematic. You know, if it is uh, super severe, let's talk about surgical options here and just the the repair that goes into uh, this hip subluxation if surgery is deemed necessary. Yeah, so it's more of an uncommon surgery than, like I said, with a labral Mm -hmm. repair of the shoulder. Um, And really there's, you know, only a select few type of people uh, that do hip scopes or labral repairs uh, in the hip, but it's it's an arthroscopic procedure, meaning they go in with a camera and they do it in the joint, and <clears throat> through a couple of tiny holes, they will repair the labrum, which is that bumper, back to the bone. 
Um, so in theory, that keeps the hip more stable. It keeps the hip more solid. Um, so he's able to heal and go back to the activities that he enjoys. You know, the, the other hard part is, you know, you talk about the Bo Jackson injury. Did he truly have a subluxation where it disrupted all the blood supply mm-hmm. to that hip? You know, that can create problems down the road in terms of arthritis and, you know, more severe type of issues. Well, just the, the overall comfort and confidence in what type of fear do you have dropping back in the pocket? You know, Fitzpatrick's not been injury-proof by any means, but, man, he's played he's played hurt a lot, and he's played really well. I mean, think of his success, Miami, New York, Buffalo. I mean, most of the AFC East, right, the old school East. And now he stays Absolutely. on the East Coast in, in Washington, and uh, it's too bad for him. Going to miss watching him ball out, but hopefully he'll uh, he'll take care of it. What's what's that like for for those players, Doctor Ben, when they've got to go on IR? Uh, our team's not necessarily uh, the most open when it comes to having hurt guys around. Is that something you're also got, you're having to deal with as a player? Yeah, I think so. Mentally, for the player, it's difficult. You know, the stress of whether they're going to get rid of him or not. The hard part is too at his age. You know. He's like a, a wounded thoroughbred, you know, mm-hmm. as he gets to the end of his career, you know, are they, is somebody going to take a chance in terms of paying him if he does have these repeated injuries? And that certainly, I think, is probably in the back of his mind as he has another injury and as he's on IR, you know, what is his future going to look like? Is somebody going to take a chance on it? Is a hip injury one of those kind of death nail injuries or damaged goods label that, that – if you have that happen in football, specifically quarterback, uh, do folks run from you, or is it is it is it an injury you can kind of weather? You know, I think it certainly depends on what the extent of the injury is. If you think about the Bo Jackson type, and that comes to mind, yeah, it certainly is in the back of your mind. But if he truly did have a subluxation, he's able to get back to running, get back to um, planting his foot without pain. You know, I do think it's something that he could potentially come out come out of but i think time will truly tell dr ben woodhead with us lincoln orthopedic center a jock doc wednesday and uh, ryan fitzpatrick uh, fitz magic on our minds uh, with his hip injury as uh, he was knocked out in the opener against the charges and uh now out six to eight weeks dr ben it's it's been interesting with uh, the number of injuries uh, around the league you've seen guys uh, get dinged and uh, did real quick about thirty seconds. Did it shock you with the amount of injuries in week one? Yeah, I know it's always hit or miss in terms of how many injuries there are, but there were a substantial amount, and so hopefully that doesn't have a telltale sign of what the season's going to be like. You know, guys obviously train in the off season; they get ready. You have a an, an extended season this year for the first time ever with with one more game. So hopefully, guys can stay healthy and continue to 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 ball out have a great impact and and yeah make that uh, generation changing money for them and their families dr ben uh, we will catch up again soon thanks for the time today on another jock doc absolutely thanks a lot chris miss us come here brother give me a hug bring it in for the real thing we're on call for you catch the podcast at hailvarsity.com the espn lincoln app or download them on itunes saddle up partner back to hail varsity radio
One final time here, we're at Seacrest Field. The good stuff from a jock doc and Rick Pizzo. Seacrest, where we're at, freshman football, 20-7, to 7, our score at the half. It's uh, been all southwest. You've gotten some really good zone read play from uh, east on a big-time run by uh, Worthy, their, uh, their quarterback. Uh, Jace Erickson and uh, Griffin Simrad leading the way offensively for Southwest. Really great one-two punch in uh, special teams and in the running game. And uh, right now, Southwest uh, facing a third down, and we will say uh, Pine Lake Road uh, back inside their five. But uh, fun to be out. Amazing weather. Good day for football. Wind is a bit gusty here out of the east, but... Uh, we are loading up the old uh, RV mobile, the Uncle Uncle, Uncle Andy mobile, Elijah, uh, with uh, with the, the roadie to Norman. So that uh, happens tomorrow at six. We'll be in Norman uh, at uh, for Friday morning for the KFOR show, and of course, Hale Varsity on the road Friday and Saturday. Uh, in our road trip powered by your friends at Ferris Financial Group and Aero Brokerage, helping make that happen. And Elijah, you'll uh, you'll be a little bit late to the party, but you'll be at the party uh, with uh, Joe Washington, Smoke Through a Keyhole event. Uh, we're excited about it. The, um, the cigar bar we're going to be at uh, pretty big time. And uh, it looks like a setup where... You know, this is this is open for Husker and Sooner fans to check out too, because there is a a cash bar. It's the Cohiba Lounge, 105 East Boyd Street, Norman, about two and a half blocks or so from the uh, from the stadium. NFL tomorrow night, and a whole slate of college football. Great, great slew of games uh, for uh, not only the Big Ten, but. Uh, Teams like Michigan State and Minnesota, they get to get tested a bit. Yeah, uh, when, when you mentioned the the cigar bar, I was telling my brother about it. I, I'm going to be road tripping down uh, with my brother on Friday, and I said, oh, yeah, you can find something to do uh, during the Friday show, during the Saturday morning show if you want. Go see Norman while, while we're doing the show. And I said, but we are doing the show from a cigar lounge. And he said, that's all I need to hear. I'll, I'll be there for two hours puffing on a cigar listening to the show. <laughs> so uh, that's going to be fun. I'm really excited to road trip down to, uh, to Norman with my brother. It's been I mean, years since we've gone and seen a game together. Um, mm-hmm. Because as soon as he got out of high school, he was in the UNL marching band. Uh, so I was going to games by myself or with my friends. And then uh, now I've been, you know, working all these games, doing all this stuff while he's been out of college. So it has probably been a good eight, ten years since I have seen a game with my brother. I'm really looking forward to this one. Well, uh, we are going to be down there, uh, brother-in-law Andy, uh, my, my brother Mark, and, and his uh, and Uncle Andy's. Uh, mom and dad rolling with us in the Heisenberg Mobile. Yeah, and that's what that's what college football, especially Husker football, is all about. It's about family. Well, yeah, it is. And uh, well, Saturday morning, I think we're going to be in uh, in Boomerland, which is the RV tailgate setup for Saturday morning, and then of course, real red reaction from the Cohiba Lounge. So we will get you set up tomorrow on the show. Dean Blevins, Danny Burke. Gary Barnett, Brandon Vogel. Big thanks to Mike Babcock, Rick Pizzo, and, uh, of course, uh, Brad Edwards. Talk to you tomorrow at 4 on Hale Varsity. Enjoy.